Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and you are so good, Lord. It is just so natural for us to praise you and to praise you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Lord, but we recognize that sometimes distractions get in the way and sometimes our flesh gets in the way. So I pray now that the, the veil would be removed, that we would see you high and lifted up, Lord, that uh, our hearts would see you more than our eyes would see you, Lord, that we would understand that your presence is here, Lord, that your goodness and your mercy abounds here, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for all of us, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling today, those who are sort of limping through life. I pray, Lord, that you would renew them and refresh them with a new vision of you, new insight about you, Lord. You say that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, Lord, and so here we are, Lord. We're here to worship and praise you, to seek you with all of our heart, Lord. We ask that you would give us the, the blessing of revelation, Lord, the blessing of truth, the blessing of uh, understanding. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would renew us and you would renew our minds and that today we would be more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you sit down, can you greet your neighbor? All right. So now find your nearest father, and we're going to lay hands on the father. So if you're near a father, everybody should find a father. If you're a father, that does, you, they're supposed to come to you. Yes. So find a father, lay hands on that father, the father nearest you. Yes, lay hands. Okay. Everybody laying hands on a the father? There's a father back there that somebody needs to lay hands on, right back there. Oh, wow. There you go. Okay, let's pray for our fathers. Heavenly Father... We come to you this morning, and you say in your word that we are to honor our fathers and mothers. And today we do that, Lord. We know that fatherhood is really at the heart of a society and a civilization along with motherhood. And today we just want to honor that. And we do understand that this day can bring a lot of hurt and difficulty and hardship. And so uh, we want to remember that despite all of the worldly aspects that go into Father's Day, that you are a good father that is above all, in all, and through all, and that you are a father to your children, the great and perfect father, Lord. But I pray for our earthly fathers here. I pray a blessing on them. I pray that you would keep them and watch over them, make your face shine upon them. I pray that today they would feel blessed, Lord. A lot of fathers often are discouraged, and if you're a father, you may feel discouraged today, and I just want you to know that Jesus loves you, and that Jesus has got your back, that he fills in the gaps of your insufficiencies and your weaknesses, and so enjoy our Heavenly Father. Let's bless our fathers today, and Lord, may our fathers today know how special they are in you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys. Kids, you're dismissed. All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and uh, turn to the book of Luke. If you need a Bible, there is uh, Bibles underneath the seats for you. And uh, I still have a couple announcements while you're turning to the book of Luke. Just to let you know, this Wednesday we continue our study going through the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10 and 11. Encourage you to read ahead with those. We also have our women's retreat and men's retreats coming up in September. So there are sign-ups in the foyer for both of those. We also have a one-day VBS coming up and there are sign-ups for that Vacation Bible School, if you don't know what VBS means. And that's going to be July 29th. 
And so that's our announcements this morning. So I'd like to turn your attention to the book of Luke. We're in chapter 6 this morning. And we find Jesus again, and as we're going to see continually through the book of Luke, as we've seen in the other Gospels, he's, he's attacking something very precious and special to the Jewish people, and that's the Sabbath. Why would Jesus attack the Sabbath? Why would that be something that he would make a point and a priority in his ministry? We're going to look at that this morning, but as we do, we need to talk about this plague in the church. It's called legalism. Have you ever been misrepresented by somebody or someone in an unflattering way presents you to someone else or says something that that they said you said and they take it in a, a direction that doesn't mean the things that you've said and just completely misrepresent you and your character? Well, that was what was going on with the Pharisees in their misrepresentation of God, particularly Jesus. I don't think there's anyone in history that has been lied more about than Jesus Christ. And of course, there's a reason for that is because Satan is the ultimate gossip and destroyer of character. And Satan wants to misrepresent Jesus and the gospel to the extent where we would have a complete misunderstanding of the love and grace of God. Some of you here may have been put off by Christianity, but you, you being put off by Christianity is in a way where Christianity is being misrepresented as Christianity and you're being put off by something that's not even Christianity. Many people are are, are turned away because of their misunderstanding of the goodness and the grace of God that has been so misrepresented in our society. So legalism is one of those things that distorts people's view of God. And you really have two extremes. So you have a, on one extreme, you have license, which distorts the gospel and the understanding of God. What does that mean? That means that people don't take into account that God is a holy God. And they, on one end, would say, well, it just it doesn't matter what you do and how you live your life because Jesus loves everyone. And there's extremes to that. But we're going to look at that other extreme, which emphasizes the works of man to please God. Legalism can be defined as a system of rules and regulations for achieving salvation or spiritual growth. It leads to pride And self-righteousness to where a person thinks and feels that they are better than other people simply because they can keep rules and live by a certain system better than other people. Peter was like that. Peter was a self-righteous man until he was broken to God and he would later write in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 5 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's why the apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 that it is by grace that we are saved not by works lest what anyone should boast or brag. And he was a person that would know about that. So we're going to look at this legalism and how Jesus attacks it because it's such an abomination to him and the misrepresentation of him by the religious groups of the day has mischaracterized the nature and the goodness of God. 
if you think about it, why would anybody rationally resist God? Knowing who He is and His character and what He offers. Right? As human beings, aren't we sort of always thinking, like, what's the best way? What's the best road? How should I live my life? And if we have some sort of hesitation in that towards God, it's probably because we don't really understand God. Because God is the definition of good. God is the definition of love. God is the fulfillment of everything that a human being wants. So why would anybody resist that? If someone pulled up in a Brinks truck today and said, I have $5 million for whoever wants it, no strings attached, who would turn that down? How many of us would get very excited about that? Yeah. But how much better the grace of God? So why wouldn't we be excited about that? Why wouldn't we run to the cross and run to the gospel and run to the good news of Jesus Christ? It's probably because we misunderstand who God is, what He thinks about us, and what He offers to us. And legalism is a system that many people view God through the lens of legalism, therefore don't want to have anything to do with God. But let me just tell you, that's not who God is. So how do you know if, if you may have a legalism problem? Or maybe you don't have a legalism problem because you've run away from legalism because that's your understanding of what God is. Well, here's a few items to help you understand if you may have a wrong view of God through the lens of legalism. Ready? You ready? I hope you're ready because there's a lot of them. So number one, it's fear. If you have fear, you probably have a wrong view of God. If you have guilt, you have a wrong view of God. If you never feel good enough, if you feel like you never do enough, if you're constantly frustrated, if you're constantly anxious, if you doubt your salvation, if you're angry constantly, frustrated constantly, if you're struggling to have joy, if you're achievement-oriented or performance-oriented, if you're judgmental of others, if you're unforgiving or bitter, if you're touchy or, in, uh, or sensitive, hypersensitive, if you feel like giving up because you would say, I just can't do it. If when you are worshiping God or doing your devotions and things like that to God, if you feel like you're just punching the time clock and getting it done and checking a box, if you don't sense God's presence, if you're upset when other people get blessed, if your focus is on the external things, if you don't trust the Holy Spirit to do His job, which means you're controlling of your own life and, and wanting to control other people's lives, if you're impatient, if you're rule-oriented instead of spirit-led, if you have religious substitutes to replace the simple worship and obedience of God, if you have little peace or the lack of peace in your heart, these are all symptoms of legalism. These are all symptoms of a view of God or the way that you understand God that are incorrect. And these are the things that Jesus was really attacking because legalism was so detrimental. And yes, there is a place to talk about license, but that's not here today. 
we're dealing with this issue of legalism. So legalism, then, what a way we can think about it is it's, it's something that goes beyond the things of God. And if you're taking notes, there's just really three things that we're going to look at in the text this morning. And one is legalism goes beyond the Word of God. It goes beyond God's grace, and it goes beyond God's goodness. So let's take a look in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath, on, or on the second Sabbath after the first, that he, Jesus, he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked the heads of grain and they ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And then some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So this was all orchestrated by the Lord. It, it was not coincidence that Jesus had taken his disciples on a journey through the grain fields. And in those days, they didn't have buckies. So whenever they would travel, and they would often be on foot, they didn't... Uh, have the ability to pop in and get one of those hot dogs rolling on a roller for 13 hours. <laughs> they didn't have a chance to get beef jerky and things like that. And so there, there was a, an allowance actually in the law, in the D book of Deuteronomy, that, that you would be able to just travel on your journey. And if you went through someone's field, you would be able to take of the whatever fruit or vine was there or whatever food was available and eat it for your own provisions. So that was an amazing system. It was prohibited, though, to have a sickle to chop things down in order to... Uh, the purpose of that was pro prohibit people from just stealing from somebody's land and then selling the abundance. But the provision for the individual was there. And you see behind this law or this allowance, I should say, that one could travel through. It'd be sort of like if you walked home and, and someone's lemon tree had a lemon hanging over the fence and you grabbed it and ate it or a pomegranate or what have you, that, that would be okay. This provision was a, a provision that we see was very kind and graceful of the Lord, merciful of the Lord, recognizing the, the human need that is such. And if you think about it, hunger is, is something that, that God built into humans that make us dependent on God. So God has is, is intrinsically wired humans and the world so that we will constantly realize our need for Him and constantly seek Him. Hunger is one of those. And so you see throughout the Bible, oftentimes God will judge and there would be famines in the land. And that would be a way for God to get people's attention. That doesn't resonate as much with us in our culture, but understand that the, th the way God has made things is so that we will understand our need for Him constantly, our constant need for Him. So as Jesus orchestrated this route, he went through a grain field and it was on a particular day and that's where things get dicey. It wasn't the fact that they were eating grain from the field. It was the fact of when they were doing that. They were doing it on a Sabbath. Now, why would that upset certain religious people? And it all starts to make sense when we understand the gravity and the importance of the Sabbath to a Jewish person. The Sabbath was simply to be a blessing. It was to be a gift of rest, forced rest. Now, 
Can you imagine how good God is? He said, rest. You better rest. And in today in our society, I mean, oftentimes we're running around on fumes. Right? We're just, and we gain much of our self-esteem by how busy we are. And oftentimes we, we like to let people know that we're really busy. And we don't like the feeling of the fact that we may not be busy. And when we get some free time, most people fill their free time with more busyness. God knew that about us. He knew that because generally we are, as human beings, we're works-oriented, achievement-oriented. Our self-worth is tied up much in the things that we do. And so he said, hey, look, you're going to stop doing that. And you're going to take a day where you rest and focus on me and remember me and the spiritual things, God knowing that we have a tendency to forget him and be so busy. And then we're so busy because we got to take care of our bills. We can't take a second off. And God says, look, live by faith and trust me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. And so there are many ways in our Western culture that we don't live by faith, even as Christian, and even think that we, we are honorable and noble for working ourselves to the point of exhaustion and the point where we're putting everything else ahead of God and we'll pay the price for that. And so God, in the very beginning, He said, you're going to rest. You're going to stop and you're going to have a great day of enjoying me and my presence. And so what happened was that blessing of God was then taken by the religious people called the Pharisees. Let's just focus on the Pharisees. The scribes were another group. But the Pharisees, and what they did was then they took this one word, work. So the law was, by God, don't work on the Sabbath. And by the way, Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath was sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And it was to be a blessing. It was to be an example also. It was to be an example when God created the world and then he put man in it. The day after he put man in it was rest to signify that God wants us to rest in him and that our true rest comes from a relationship with him. So, so far that sounds pretty good. Who could have a problem with God saying, hey, rest? Right? All of you fathers, since it's Father's Day, if you're father here and, and you have a kid that has dark circles under their eyes and their hair looks all ratty and matted and, and they, they say, Dad, I'm so tired. I've been working so much. I'm on five Red Bulls and two quad espressos and the dad would say hey you need a rest why don't you just go to sleep i can't go to sleep i can't do it i, I need to get this done and and then the dad would know look eventually something not good is going to happen to that person why because we're not wired like that who knows how we're wired best than god he wired us he is the owner's manual for human beings. And he says, rest. And we have a tendency to say, no. And there's the battle. But here's the thing. Now, when you go beyond God's word, here's what happens. When you go beyond God's word, it becomes man's word. If you go beyond God's word, it becomes man's word, man's thing. So, when God's thing turns into man's thing, it's not a good thing. That's why we have to watch legalism. Because legalism is going beyond the word of God. So how did they go beyond the word of God in the Sabbath? This day of rest. It was the one word, work. 
work. So then when man gets into something, it gets complicated. It gets weird. It gets confusing. It gets to be hard and it gets to be a burden. And when man gets involved in something, then there's often power struggles. It's power struggle between, as far as the Sabbath goes, who can keep it better than other people? Who can know it better? So there was this development of the interpretation of the word work. So what does work mean? Don't work on the Sabbath. should be pretty simple. Okay, let's take a day and hang out, rest, focus on God, enjoy God, let it be a blessing. But no, man messes everything up. So this don't work, this ordinance of God, I want to bless you. I know how you're wired. Listen to me. You'll be refreshed. You'll have more joy and more peace and get this more productivity. And then you'll also have to trust me on the day you're resting for provision. You'll have to trust me. But that turned into that blessing, that benefit it turned into these strenuous, I should say extraneous, Jewish rules and traditions, wherein one of the, the Jewish books of interpretation of the laws of God called the Mishnah, and then later the Talmud, they turned the word, word work into 24 chapters of Sabbath regulations, You get that? 24 chapters of Sabbath regulations based on what work means. One chapter would take a rabbi two and a half years to study and understand the regulations of one chapter of what the definition of work was. So you start to get an idea of how strenuous this was. In that, in the Mishnah, so that's a Jewish book of interpretation of rules and laws. It, it says this literally from the Mishnah. It says, if uh, it says the generative categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath. This is what's prohibited. He who sows. Okay. So you can just take that one and you can develop volumes of books of laws and regulations of what it means to sow. And they're talking in farming terms, not in knitting terms. So sowing. So what does that mean? And then so they would go off and have all of these uh, particulars about what actually sowing means. So he who sows, he who plows, reaps, Binds sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes. He who shears wool, washes it, beats it, dyes it, spins it, weaves it, uh, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads, ties it, sews two stitches, stitches, tears in order to sew two stitches, He who traps a deer, slaughters it, flays it, salts it, curds it, scrapes it, cuts it up. He who writes two letters, like literally writing two letters, erases two letters in order to write two letters. He who builds, he who tears down, he who puts out a fire, he who kindles a fire, he who hits with a hammer, he who transports an object from one domain to to another. So that's... 39. And all of those 39 things would have volumes of books to understand what those things mean. So imagine God gives this blessing. Hey, rest. Come on, rest. Be blessed. Enjoy. Who here likes to go on vacation? Go on vacation for a day. Every week. well, what does that actually mean, don't work? And then they would make this, by the time Jesus came, 
they put traditions above God's Word. God's Word that is meant to be a blessing. So first off, we have to first look and see and understand, is God's Word a blessing to us? If it's not, we may be suffering from legalism. We may have the wrong view or the wrong lens that we're reading the Bible from. And what happens is then, because of that, we will have a tendency then to go beyond the Bible. And there's a part of us that likes the safety of rules, of boundaries, of something that is really clear, a a field to operate in that is closed off so that we know this is where we're supposed to be. So Jesus, he leads his disciples into the grain fields. And as he leads them out there, he's doing it on purpose because he's demonstrating to the Pharisees and to those who are understanding God incorrectly. And he wants them to know that his word is to bless. His word is to enhance. God's word gives. God's word is amazing. And those who receive it are those who blessed. And those of you here that know that, you understand what I'm saying. Because you understand the word of God has been such a treasure to you. Such a blessing to you. That it's not a duty for you to read it. But it's a blessing for you to read it. And you enjoy it. You delight in it. And when you understand that God's word is there to bless and to get you to a place in humanity where you're living for the designed purposes of God, then His Word is what will contribute to that. His Word feeds the hungry soul. It feeds the soul that is seeking Him. But when we go beyond the Word, it starts to take from us. It puts us in bondage. And when we go beyond God's word, what happens is then now it's man's word dictating to us. It's man's rules and man's regulations that will, that will kill our joy. It will kill our peace and it will rob us of the things that God has for us. So the second thing, as we see this story unfold, as Jesus is orchestrating the disciples be in the fields. And I find it interesting that the disciples who were Jewish and who would live by the Jewish laws, that for some reason when they were with Jesus, and we don't have any record of Jesus telling them to eat. He might have, we don't know. But they were, they were comfortable eating on the Sabbath. And I think the, the big difference was is because they were with Jesus. And when they were with Jesus, you may have remembered from last week, we talked about Jesus saying that there is new wine and new wineskins. Jesus explaining that he is bringing a new thing, a fresh thing, a good thing, and that the law of the past was merely to bring someone up to the knowledge and understanding of their need for the present and the future. And that was what Jesus was bringing in his gospel. So as they're chowing down, somehow the Pharisees are there. Seems like they're trolling the disciples. They just keep popping up. What would the, the Pharisees be doing in a grain field on the Sabbath? Wouldn't that constitute work, what they were doing? And it would. That's the hypocrisy of legalism. So they were working. There are laws about how far you can be from your house. You you hear in the Bible, Sabbath day journey. So you'd be able to go 3,000 feet from your doorpost. 
unless the day before you had at 3,000 feet put a chair and then you can go 3,000 feet from that chair. So that was part of their law. But they were in the grain fields. They were out there with the disciples, but they weren't eating, but they were there working on the Sabbath. So Jesus says in verse 3, he says, but Jesus answered. And he says something that would really, really upset them. Have you not even read this? So think about it for a Pharisee. These were the, the doctors of theology of the day. These were the PhDs of theology. And Jesus says, have you not read? They prided themselves on what they've read, on the knowledge of scriptures. And Jesus points them, uh, their, their failure to read. But get this, have you not read this? Of course they've read what he's going to say. So here's, here's something that gets really intriguing. So they've read, no doubt, they've read what Jesus is about to say. 1 Samuel chapter 21. They've read that. But yet, because their hearts were resistant to the things of God, they read, but they did not understand. They didn't understand the meaning. So what that means is it's possible to read Scripture. And maybe if you're caught up into some legalism, you read, but you don't understand. You read, and you feel only condemned. I've had people say this to me. Well, whenever I start reading the Bible, I just feel guilty and condemned. So I stop reading the Bible. And if that's the case, you're reading with the wrong lens. Because the Bible, yes, it does bring us into the awareness of our own condition before God, which isn't a great feeling. But it's only to bring us into the blessing of knowing that despite our weaknesses, imperfections, and failures, God loves us and died for us and wants to work in our lives. So the Pharisees are self-centered and self-righteous. And they're reading the scriptures, the same scriptures that Jesus is pointing out, and coming out with a different conclusion. So, so Jesus points them to something that, an account of something that actually happens. Notice, he says, have you not even read this? What David did when he was hungry. David would be their guy. So now Jesus is talking about their guy. Jesus is using scripture as a master swordsman to bring about the truth. And that is how we bring about the truth. We insert scripture. We put scripture into our situation. So ask yourself. As you live your life out and are faced with multiple decisions and multiple opportunities and multiple disappointments at the same time, ask yourself, are you looking at Scripture in light of what you're going through? Are you inserting Scripture in light of what you're going through? If not, you are not going to understand life and the working of God in your life. The Word of God is like an anchor. The Word of God is a lamp into our what? Our feet. So you won't, be able, you won't understand. You'll be walking in the dark. That doesn't feel good, does it? You'll be walking clueless. And what happens when we live in that manner is then we begin to just go on our feelings and our emotions of what we think is right, and you know there's a problem with that. 
Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is destruction. So when we live off of, well, I think this is the right thing. I feel this is the good, the good way to go. My heart is taking me into this direction. I follow my heart. The Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Don't follow your heart. Please, for the love of God, don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. And as he's following the word of God, and Jesus is taking him back to Scripture, this is always how we dismantle false views and false understandings. We take them back to the Scriptures. This is how we do it in our own life. This is how we preach to ourselves. What does the word say? So he says, David, 1 Samuel 21, David, what did he do when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, he had a group of guys with him. And it says, how he went into the house of God, which was the tabernacle at that time, which is a temporary, not the temple, but the temporary place of worship. And what did he do? He took and he ate showbread. And then he gave some of that showbread to those who were with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to do. So what was happening? David was on the run from Saul. Saul was the king of Israel at the time, the first king of Israel. He was jealous of David, and David was running for his life, and he had a few guys with him, and he was hungry. So what do you do? No buckies, and he wouldn't have money for buckies. So you might want to say he was desperate. So he, he goes... And he finds a, a, a tabernacle. And he, he would know that there would be a ceremony every week where they would have these 12 loaves of bread in the first part of the sanctuary of the tabernacle, not the innermost part, which is the Holy of Holies, but the part before that, which is the holy place. And the priests would go in and they would have 12, lo 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 loaves of bread would be for the Jewish person a reminder of God's provision for them. It'd be a, a reminder of God's goodness towards them. And every week they would change the bread out. And the old bread that would be a week old would go to the priest. The priest would eat that. And so David is there, and he, he understands all this. He knows it's, according to law, it's not really kosher, if you will, to eat that bread, because only the priests could eat that bread. But he went in, and the priests gave him the bread to eat. And he ate it. And Jesus is pointing this out. So in a sense, he broke, broke the law. Why did he broke, break the law? It's because he was hungry. What did he do when he was hungry? Where did he go? He went to the house of God. Where do we go when we're hungry? Spiritually speaking, we go to the house of God. Now what if, spiritually speaking, he's hungry. He's hungry for God and he goes to the house of God and they say, get out of here. It's not lawful. Get out of here. You're breaking the law. Get out of here. And that's what a house of God can do. They can say, get out of here. We don't want you here. And that person could be coming and saying, I'm hungry. I'm spiritually dying. And this is, I thought this is where I'm supposed to go, the house of God. And it is. This is the place for hungry people. This is the place for the bread of the word of God to feed the souls of men. 
And who are we to ever have a law that says there's a certain law that says that you can't come in? I've used this illustration before, but it reminds me of when I was a pastor over the children's church at the church that I came from. And there was a frantic lady in the hall right between services, and she was crying. And she had her child next to her about waist high. And I said, what's wrong? And her child was a special needs child. And she said, well, the teacher wouldn't let her go into the class because there's too many people in the class. And so I went and talked to the teacher, and I said, hey, you have to let her in. And she said, well, we're one person over the amount of people that are allowed to come to class. And I said, well, we'll be one person over then. You don't make a law to kick somebody out. This lady was desperate and in need. She hadn't had a moment herself, a break, to get away from God. She was a single mom, and so she went in, and she was very thankful just for that hour that she got to go in and worship God. So sometimes we have to realize that rules are meant to be broken. Sometimes we have to realize there's a higher principle and a higher understanding about the heart behind scripture the heart and the desire behind scripture and so in verse 5 you'll notice that's why jesus points the story out and he says that the son of man this points to his humanity is also the lord of the sabbath so he's claiming his deity there too he's saying I'm bigger than the Sabbath. He's saying, I invented the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. And he's saying, I'm going to make the rules. You know what he is pointing out? He is pointing out that at the end of the, day, of the day, it's all about a relationship with him. Not about rules, traditions, ordinances. It's all about a relationship with him. And when one is in a relationship with him, they will understand that it is about grace, that God is a compassionate God, that God knows and understands our hurts and our needs, and he's not up there as a God looking to strike us down. He's a God there saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He was the God for the downtrodden, the hurting, the fearful, the anxious, the weak. And he would say, bring your huddled masses to me. And when Jesus was on earth, they did bring their masses and he healed them, showing his intent for mankind is not to harm, confuse and hurt, but to bless, to build up and to bring into a relationship with him. What he's saying is a relationship with him is what it's all about. And because of a relationship with him, then his actions towards us or movements towards mankind are those where he understands and operates through kindness and mercy and love that he has a soft heart towards us. And think about that. It's, it's unimaginable that God even thinks about us. When you start to ponder how big God is and His transcendent nature above all things and the fact that He's actively controlling all things, holding all things together, that He is involved in every detail of everything that's going on in the whole world and individually in our own lives, and yet he is so mindful of everything that goes on in our life. He is so compassionate and moved towards us because of our pain, because of our hurt, and a legalistic mindset would say that I'm not good enough, so I, I don't want to be around God. I want to get away from God, but that's the wrong understanding of God, and Jesus is dealing with that. And he's telling the Pharisees, look, God is not a God of the Old Testament and New Testament. God is merciful, kind, and compassionate. And that runs throughout Scripture. Do you remember David? He was hungry and he broke the law so he can eat. God cares when we're hungry. 
He cares about our need. And I want to remind you that our hunger is given by God, so we are reminded constantly that we are dependent on Him for our very survival. There are many parts in the world right now where where people are not able to have food like ours, like we do. And so it is the grace of God, not the law of God. It is the grace of God, the goodness of God, bestowed upon mankind who has not earned it or deserved it, but we receive it anyway. Now, why would someone not want that? Why would someone not want the favor of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the tenderness of God? Why would someone not want that? There's no rational reason someone wouldn't want to enjoy God the way He is. And the final thing, all this legalism takes us to a place where we go not only beyond God's word, but beyond His grace, and then eventually beyond His goodness. So one last illustration about the Sabbath in verse 6. This is now it happened. On another Sabbath, that he entered the synagogue and he taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, And so the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, closely. Now think about that. The scribes and the Pharisees, they knew what he was going to do. And they couldn't wait for him to do it. Why did they know what he was going to do? They actually understood the nature of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. How did they know that? Because he had been doing thousands of miracles they have seen him heal and bless and provide and give and pour his heart out and they've seen that so they're like okay now we're going to have a guy we know he's going to do something good to this guy wouldn't that be a a a great way to for people to view our church that it's a house of God for the hungry, and it's a place where we, we know the Lord is, is going to touch people. Even people that are not believers, even people that don't like the church and don't like God, they would know, well, people get touched at that church. People get loved at that church. People get cared for. People get blessed at that church. So the Pharisees, the enemies of God, they're, they're, they're understanding the nature of God, and they're saying, okay, Sabbath, guy with the withered hand. Basically a paralyzed, shriveled up hand that's not able to function. And it says that they, they put him there and they wanted to find accusation. That's why they're watching him closely. See, this is what legalism does. Legalism watches everybody to see where they're messing up. See who's messing up. Legalism says you're not sitting up enough. You're not taking notes enough. You have your drink in the sanctuary. Out with you! That's what legalism says. Grace says bring your Starbucks in, but don't spill it. So Jesus, in verse 8, he knew their thoughts. And he says to the man who had a withered hand, he says, arise and stand here. In other words, he says, front and center. And he arose and he stood and Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? So that's, that's the whole point. This is how he destroys the law and the false understandings of God that have been applied for centuries to the people of God. He says, is it lawful to do good or evil? Of course they couldn't say it's lawful to do evil. 
And so you have, you have a, a man here. He happens to be on the Sabbath, but he has a withered hand. And then he says, is it lawful to save a life or destroy? And we, when he had looked around it, at them all, he said to them, or he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is a legalistic response. A legalistic response cares more about law obeying and rule obeying than it does about a miracle that was done right in front of them. As to a restoration and healing of a man. So imagine that man. Imagine his care and concern for what day he was healed on. He has a, a new lease on life. And Luke, because he's a doctor, he points out that it was his right hand. He, he's the only gospel writer that points out that that was his right hand. This means that he would be restored back into the community. He would be able to shake hands with people. He would be able to embrace a new lease on life. And there, there are other people who said, Oh, I'm so upset he healed that guy. Because he did it on the wrong day. They were enraged. They didn't care about the guy being healed. They didn't have mercy and compassion, love and tenderness. They didn't have one thought of the fact of the humanity of this person. And so now they're so legalistic that no good can, can come from them. No good can come from legalism. No good can come from a system or religious tradition in which moves a person away from a personal relationship with God into a system of rule obeying and ordinances and do's and don'ts. Jesus has come to set us free not to put us back into religious bondage. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are the most free person in the world. No more guilt, no more shame. All things have passed away. Earning it, deserving it, that's bye-bye. But what you are the moment you receive Jesus is you are new in Christ and you are found in Him. And being in Him gives you all the freedom to enjoy Him and to enjoy life as He's intended it to be. Legalism crushes and destroys all that. We have this final great example in conclusion of the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Apostle Paul. Have you heard of him? Paul was delivered from legalism. Did you know that? One of the most profound and prolific writers of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, was like these people. He was one of them. You know what changed it for him? You know what can change your view of God, your legalistic tendencies. And let me just put it out there a little bit more, like a softball I'm tossing to you so you can hit it really easy. Think about this. If you understand God correctly, you will gladly and freely run to Him and give Him all of yourself. If you can't and won't do that, my bet is you don't really know him. Because everyone wants, everyone wants generally the same thing. Love, joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. Unless you're a psychopathic person, I, I, I mean that 
like if you're clinically, there's something wrong with you. But as human beings, that's what we want. That's how we're wired. And I'm telling you, and not just my words, we're looking at it in Scripture, Jesus is giving that to anybody who would come. And so how does that happen? How can one break free from legalism or a wrong view of God? And here it is. The example is the Apostle Paul. What broke the Apostle Paul? What brought him to his knees in humility before God? This one who was trying to achieve righteousness and was from the tribe of Benjamin, an Israel of Israel, and passionate about persecuting those who don't live by the law. What changed? Here it is. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stephen preached Christ by preaching the Old Testament and pointing all of that to Jesus and saying that was Jesus. And he was stoned to death. Because of his love for God. He's the first martyr of the church. And as he's being stoned, so you imagine seeing him being stoned. The Apostle Paul was right there, seeing it, witnessing it. He wasn't the Apostle Paul then. He was a Pharisee. And he, he heard Stephen. He would have heard Stephen say these words. As he's being stoned to death, Stephen would stay, say these words in Acts 7. 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So the Apostle Paul saw this confidence in his death. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. And he said, Stephen said this to God as throwing rocks at his head and chest and arms. To, to his death, Stephen cries out and he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. I believe that is what got into the heart of Paul. It was the demonstration of love through Stephen the martyr as he was treated so badly I believe Paul was melted at this point. Inside. He didn't show it right away, but it was soon after this where he gave his life to Christ when he met him on the road to Damascus. But this was it. It was the love of God that he saw and witnessed in Stephen's life broke him free from those chains of bondage to legalism and self-righteousness that kept him a prisoner of himself. Until in the book of Philippians, he would point out and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What was the difference? It was the love of God. And this is what God offers to us today. His love. Unconditionally. Demonstrable by his crucifixion on the cross for us. This is what one receives when they give their life to Christ. They receive the love of Christ that satisfies the heart and works itself out into peace and joy. This is what is offered to us. One, for salvation, and two, for all of us to walk in the love of God. And so as we finish today, this amazing Father's Day. The Bible says no greater love has won than this than to see his children walking in love. If you're a child, bless your parents, your dad, by walking in his love, walking in the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I do thank you, Lord, that you operate based on grace and not works, Lord. It is truly your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, Satan has done, a, I guess, a masterful job of deceiving people and tricking them into thinking something different about you, Lord. And so I pray 
and ask, Lord, for the veil to be removed from anyone's eyes here this morning that has a false view of you. I know this room is filled with those who have been delivered from crazy lives and crazy anxieties and fears and drugs and alcohol that is your love that has broken the chains. And I pray this morning that there would be those here as well that would receive the love of Christ, that would accept your invitation. And Lord, then I also just want to pray for all the believers here that we would truly walk in your love. And just because we're saved, we wouldn't start walking in legalism. But we'd walk and enjoy fellowship and a relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. And we're going to worship the Lord before we go in prayer. Uh, we go um, our way on Father's Day, I should say. But we're going to have our prayer team up front. If anybody would like prayer, please come forward while we're singing this last song. We'll have our prayer team up front. And uh, if any of you would like family pictures or just a picture of yourself, Sally is graciously available to take pictures uh, for Father's Day to bless us. So thank you, Sally. You're a blessing. So let's worship the Lord. Our prayer team uh, will be up front. Um, let's worship the Lord. God bless you guys.